Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Good morning and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we have the Nina Ulk. Good morning to you. Good afternoon, maybe. Hello, hi. <laughs> welcome to the show. First of all, have I pronounced your name right? Because it's slightly unusual. It has every vowel except E, so it's not an easy one. It's actually Nina Ulk. Ulk. But um, you mm. did very well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, Nina, welcome to the show. So, tell thank us. Thank you so much. Who are you? What do you do and where are you from? So my name's Nina Olk. I am an activist, an author, an empowerment coach. I speak out about honour killings and human trafficking because both of them have affected my life. I also am an, I'm a advocate for mental health in young people, again, because I have had experiences of that in my own family. And I work with Think Network as their global diversity advocate and cultural advocate. And I also work with a few other um, organisations to try to create affordable housing for women that end up living on the streets like I did when they leave their partners um, from domestic violence. So I'm a busy lady. <laughs> a very busy lady. I mean, there's there's a huge amount there. And as you were saying just before we came on, I mean, I was I was listening to your, your TEDx talk this morning, super powerful, emotional, I'd imagine. I mean, how was it for you even just talking, doing the TEDx talk? Yeah, you see, a lot of people have said, oh, I'd love to do a TEDx talk or a TED talk because it's my dream. And as strange as it sounds, it was, wasn't my dream to do that. My passion was that I wanted to speak on a large platform. And that's all I kept saying out into the universe. I want to speak onto a large platform so that I can help spread awareness of honor killings. Gary, um, who organizes the TEDx events, is an amazing person. He found me on Clubhouse and we got talking, and then I got involved with the empowerment side of Think Network, where he enabled me to have a voice, whereas a lot of people would shrink away when I started talking. And I have been asked to leave rooms when I've spoken um, on social media before, especially Clubhouse, because I made feel, people feel uncomfortable. He, he didn't do that. You know, he enabled me to be as honest and as detailed as I wanted to be. and. I have been reliving my past, but I've never held on to it. So although I know it happened and although I know very much so the effects of it, um, it's not something I hold against my parents or anyone that's hurt me because I know that was part of my learning process that's created the foundations of who I am. On the day of the TED Talk, I was super excited. A lot of people worried about knowing their words, but I was just so excited that I had this huge opportunity. I didn't care how I looked. 
people saying, oh, Nina, you're going to look twice your size on camera. And I said, I don't care. All I care about is that the message is given in such a way that it's easy for everyone to understand. Mm. And emotions get high because it means so much to me. There's so many more Ninas out there. There are lots of little Ninas and the teenage Ninas and the grown women Ninas that are out there that I desperately, desperately want to help. Wow. It's so powerful. I mean, I mean, let's just get straight in there. I mean, define honor killing for us, if you would, please. So an honor killing is carried out by certain cultures from the Middle East, from Asia, from mm -hmm. Africa. But I want to reiterate that I'm born and raised in the United Kingdom, but the culture follows the people wherever they are. And we are now such a diverse world that we have different cultures living in every neck of the woods, even on your doorstep. And um, it's something that's happening without a lot of people knowing. And an honor killing is when a family decides they have to protect the honor of the family, the family name, the respect, and they have to be looked at in a certain way by the other people in the community. So retain honor, as I say in my TED talk, blood has to be shed. And it's a, it's a privilege for them to do that, to show that they can do that and they will do that. So they are almost ordained once they carry out this act. They are rising above the ranks, so to speak, which is really difficult to understand because you think, well, how can a murderous act give somebody that acknowledgement? But that's how it works in the culture. They just see that Mr. X has carried out such a good act because he killed his daughter because she chose to leave an arranged marriage. So we respect him so much more. It makes no sense. Would you be alive today? No, I'm extremely lucky to be alive today. Extremely. Hmm. That's, uh, how does it feel to, to, to almost sort of saying there's part of you that should be here and part of you that shouldn't be here? Not uh, Should is maybe not the right word, but... <laughs> Pete, <laughs> I've survived death so many times. I watched a film recently and I think she said that one thing they can't do is kill me. And I've really resonated with that because it's, I've, I've had so many murder attempts. It's, it's not even, um, I can't even give you a number of the amount of times that I've escaped death. So for me now, I don't have that fear and the fear that was instilled in me it, I let go of it. And that was the one thing that I knew. I only knew fear. That was the only emotion. And most Asian girls, most, my culture is Indian. So most Indian girls I know mm. won't ever know love. They'll never know worry even because fear takes over that section as well. They will only ever know anxiety and fear. Um, freedom, as I keep saying, is such a luxury that people don't understand that hey, I chose to paint my nails blue today. I would never be able to paint my nails full stop. So when I said to you earlier that I get excitable, I get excitable because I can do things. I wouldn't be living this life I'm living if it wasn't for what I went through and finding my way to freedom. Um, but a lot of people don't know any different. So to them, it's normal. Mm. That's their normality. It is, isn't it? It's, it's that sort of the looking glass that we we go through that, you know, what define normal, right? And, and is, is that sort of fear, anxiety, is that almost normal for, for you know, young women in, yes. your, in your culture? 
Most definitely, yeah. I mean, thanks for asking that because, as I say, um, I think in my TED talk, you know, we wake up in fear and we sleep in fear. And if we wake up, we know we've, we're seeing another day. There's no certainty to your life. Um, you could literally wear the wrong color black or the wrong pair of trousers, even though your parents have bought them for you and be beaten to a pulp. I brought back from shopping once the wrong washing powder and my parents beat me to a pulp. Um, I wasn't really allowed out on my own, but I was allowed to go to the shop sometimes. And, you know, I'm seven, eight years old carrying this big box of washing powder back, you know, trolling around, only a tiny thing. And I just remember as soon as the door opened, my brother looked at it, took it off me. My mother started shouting and then they started beating me and I was on the floor being beaten. And you sort of almost expect it, which is so wrong. You expect it. And then unfortunately that led me to think that was normality, which is why I put up with my partner for 23 years thinking what he was doing was normality. And again, he was on another level himself. And I've only just started speaking about that because I'm the type of person that feels it's not gracious to speak about somebody um, if they're not there to defend themselves. I don't like to say bad things. So I was saying, well, you know, he kept me safe when I ran away from an honor killing. He gave me a place to stay. I have three amazing children from him, but I was lying to myself. I was never holding him accountable. But when you don't feel you deserve anything from childhood, you think that's normal and you just take it. You just accept anything that's literally um, given to you and the way you're treated, you accept it. I mean, do, do you almost get to the point where, you know, fear is actually a, a sign of love? Does that make sense? You know, it's almost a, it's, it's a connection. It's, it's a pretty... Yeah, it's an it's not a pretty one, but it it's it's seen as it's a familiarity. Know. I wouldn't mm. say it's a connection with fear, but that if someone's shouting at you, it's familiar. My father never spoke to me, but if he did, it was always shouting abuse at me. Mm. Um, so that was all I knew. I didn't know any different. That's it. Is that? I mean, it's it's is that always been the way as far as you're concerned? I mean, do you remember time before this, or is it just? From no, from no. You see, my aunt told me that when I was born, my parents were so disappointed that they'd had a daughter that when they visited um, the new baby, which was myself, I was left in the pushchair for days and fed and not changed. And she said, after a few days, you, she said, I think it was the third or fourth day, you stopped crying and you just played with the shadows. You just sort of played with your own hands and amused yourself. She said, but you were dirty and hungry, but you just didn't didn't sort of um cry anymore so i think it was um, a disappointment since the day i arrived if i'm being honest that's that's a hell of an emotional weight it's emotional weight is that the right wording yes it can be it can be but then i've never let anything really affect me because i didn't know what to do with it hmm. so i think as a young child i trained myself just to let go and I have to admit, I have been a, a dreamer since childhood. So I think that comes from having lots of books. Um, I wasn't allowed to come out of my room unless I was called upon because I literally was the servant in the house. So 
I had books and I learned to read myself from quite an early age. Um, obviously, the teachers helped me at school also. But I learned that books could be pillows because my bed was bare. It was just a mattress. I learned that books could be made into tower blocks and knocked down. I learned that books could be stood upright, sideways. You know, I called them names. So I started calling different books names and the book would read another book with me. I had a, I had a, every child has an imagination and I wasn't any different. I had a huge imagination. Um, I often lived through the stories I read. So like Rapunzel, I always compared myself to Rapunzel in my room, you know, that I had long hair, which I did, um, that I would maybe have someone come and save me at some point. And I think most girls think that anyway. <laughs> well, it, it, that's almost like a form of escapism, right? You know, is to, you know, that you have this sort of fascinating imaginary world to, to escape or to, you know, sort of either try and glam up your current life or in your case, try and escape it, right? Is, is that yeah, sense? I completely think you're right on that one. Yes, definitely. I think it was an escape. Reading mm. for me was an escape. Thomas, before we really get into it, I mean, what, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Sorry, what does, what does fire, fire in the belly? Fire in the belly, yeah. Um, I suppose it's that grit for me. I suppose if I was transcribing it into a description, it would be that grit, that that fight or flight. Um, if you're going to stand and fight or if you're going to just run away. And I've always stood. And when I fell, I've always got up. Something in me has always kept me going. And um, I was thinking the other day as I was writing a speech for something coming up, when my parents had beat me and trampled on me, literally, I was watching blood drip from one part of my head past my nose onto a carpet. And I was watching it as they were still stamping on me. But I'd almost zoned out and... I felt like maybe that was the day I was going to die because I had a broken arm, I had a broken jaw, my hip had been broken and I felt maybe this is it, you know, this is the time that I will go. But something in me knew that I had to do something and that's when I eventually escaped was I didn't run away as I used to describe it because I couldn't run. I crawled on my hands and feet and got out of the house. Somehow I climbed over a very large fence, but when the human mind puts um, a thought into that brain, you know, we drop it in like a penny, it does, um, we can do anything. And I have proved to myself over and over again that we can really achieve anything if we put our minds to it, just get through that hard part. A curiosity, I mean, you're sort of saying you almost don't know what drove you or what gave you that that perseverance is that i mean if you what's your gut feeling I mean is there something behind you is there something are you connected to something as my as i got older and i had children i knew my children were my motivation to be an entrepreneur to run businesses my my goal was to send them to the best schools my goal was to break the cycles with my daughter to make her an independent woman that i didn't have those things or that support so I understand what it was when I had my children, but growing up, I'm not sure what kept me going. I wasn't somebody of faith, I'll be honest. Um, my parents occasionally took me to my temple, but I was always quite a dirty girl because I wasn't 
encouraged to wash and my clothes were very old and raggedy. So they were embarrassed by me. So um, they didn't take me very often. And I, I, I didn't really have anybody to turn to. The only person that was kind to me was my mother's father when I was very young. He picked me up when I fell skipping once. I didn't have skipping rope. I was pretending to skip. <laughs> and I lived in Birmingham, which is in the Midlands. And the floors there were very, they had little paving squares that were quite odd. But I really did hurt myself. And I remember he lifted me up and took me home. And I remember that act of kindness. And I thought, I'm always going to be like you. I'm always going to be kind. Um, but yeah, something in me has just kept going. Did you have siblings? I have two older brothers. Um, both brothers were there at the time when I was beaten. Um, but only one of them was actually, well, one of them broke my arm and jaw. They're both older than me. One seven years older and the other one is three years older. So your mistake, for want of a better word, is supposed to be born female. Is that yeah, right. if I'd been born a girl, a boy, I would have had a different life, a very different life. So what's wrong with being a female? Um, well, the Asian culture and Middle Eastern and the African culture see girls, there is a gender discrimination. Um, they see girls as a problem, I guess, because in the olden days, they used to have to give a dowry for in the weddings, but that doesn't exist anymore. But now they fear that the girl will get pregnant or fall in love and there's a shame. And they just don't value the requirement to have a daughter. They don't value the love that a daughter can give or or just the fact that a female is someone that can also add value to their lives. Um, and it's not just daughters, you know, women, they marry somebody, but the they're not treated very well and child brides are very common because they're more malleable. So you can create the person you want and have them scared of you for longer because they've not had any influences from the outside world. I mean, there's, there's a slight, what seems like an obvious naivety, right? Because they've come from a woman yeah. you know, themselves, obviously mothers and, and grandmothers and, you know, What's the difference? Well, you see, girls are often killed at birth in India. Um, I've said it lots of times that what they do is they um, will place the baby underneath the lorry. The lorry driver will get in on this side, not see the baby under the wheel, and literally drive and kill the baby, and that's very common. In the magazine Marie Claire, a few years ago, there was a decapitated baby in China shown, a baby girl because they'd left her and she'd just been run over on the road. And people are walking by like nothing's happened or it doesn't matter. There's just a lack of value, and that's the only word I can put on it. But there is a lack of girls as well. So the problem they're having now in China is there's mm. probably 10 men to two girls, and then there's that whole fight. So the parents will allow an older man to marry a young girl because they think the man has stability as opposed to the young people. So the balance is completely out of the window. And my, my purpose, one of my purposes for spreading awareness is to try to re-educate the younger generation 
for them to understand there has to be this balance that we need girls as much as we need boys. There's just, it's just a fundamental human necessity to have both sexes, mm. but there is definitely a lack of um, girls all over the world that are connected with these sort of cultural beliefs. Well, a bit random, but I mean, as a kid, I mean, did, did you, uh, yeah, did you want to be anything when you grew up? I mean, do, do, do people think in that way? You know, they're trying to, you know, did you have an yeah. imagination at that age? Well, at six, I remember saying I used to write my name at the bottom of books. So I'd hold a book like this one. I have my book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would write at the bottom my name and I would say to myself, I, I want to be an author. And I remember telling my parents once, actually, no, I think the teachers told my parents and they sort of laughed and said it wouldn't, wouldn't be possible. I, I'm not to be that, um, almost shooing the idea from my mind. But I always wanted to write. I just had this urge to write, maybe because I enjoyed reading. Talk to us about your book there. Give us the title. and, and... Um, It's actually not even, it's one of my... Um, it's not even the proper copy. I should have had one next year, but it's called Master Your Life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one I checked out. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it has about six sections in it. It's all about how you can master your life because I, I've learned so much. If I can help somebody 20 years younger or 30 years younger to suss out what it took me to work out to do with business and money, self-love, family, you know, um, health. There's a lot of things in there that can help somebody i wished i'd had that book a long time ago which is why i wrote it i mean at the time of writing who who were you writing to i assume it was a younger version of you was it or no i was actually writing for i i, I get asked a lot of questions all the time by people at bus stops or train stations or in the you know i'm standing in a supermarket and i turn around and somebody's like oh, i just wanted to ask you a quick question and i think i must attract that energy and um, I do coach people because one of the things I do is I coach quite an elite handful of people, which I'm really privileged to do. But the questions they ask are in the book <laughs> and they're the most common questions. And it does, as cliche as it sounds, all start with you and how you feel about yourself. And how do you feel about yourself now? I mean, do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? I love me. <laughs> <laughs> In all the vain ways, no. no. I love myself. No, yeah. not, nothing to do with vanity. See, that's mm. the thing, because I understand that this outside image is nothing. And I'm not actually bothered by it. You know, I'm not phased when someone says, oh, you've got nice head. I just think, it's cool. I've got a better soul. I've got a good heart. That's what matters. You know, I was asked recently, who are your heroes? And I said, the people that let the old lady go in front of them at the supermarket when they're in a rush and they know they're nearly at that ticket, that they're going to get a ticket, but they still let her go. Or somebody that sees somebody drop something in the road and they're struggling to pick it up to stop what they're doing and give them that time. They're the real heroes. They're the ones that go and notice, but they make the life and the world a nicer place. Yeah. I mean, by the sounds of that, would you, do you, are you naturally sort of very empathic? I am very empathic, yeah. I think, you know, when you feel your, when you've had hurt, you want to protect everybody from that. I do. I don't want anybody to feel the way I ever felt, um, which is why I'm so passionate about, passionate about my organisation um, to try and spread awareness and to try and help these girls that are still in that situation. Mm. 
what what does need to change i mean what you know the, the journey you've been through and like understandably you know you never want that to happen to anyone else but what's what is the answer is there an answer there definitely is there's always an answer and mm-hmm. I, even if i don't create change i can start a ripple of change so in the future my daughter you know she's very passionate about this probably because she's watched her mother go through things and learning about but not just through me you know she has friends that are her age she's 28 she has friends who have been in love um korean and a kurdish person had to split up because they were meeting in secret for years and they suit each other down to a T. I've watched them both and they're such a lovely couple, but the parents wouldn't allow them to be together. So they haven't fought for it. They've just accepted what the parents have said and let one another go, which is, it's devastating. It's devastating for them because they may never find that again. So she's seen it herself. She sees the injustices of this cultural restraint that's put upon people. So she wants that herself. But She also sees the difference of how women and girls are treated by their male counterparts um, across different cultures because she's half African. So she's seen the African element. She's seen the Middle Eastern element through people at university. Her own life has gifted her with that visibility so she can acknowledge it and understand that it's very wrong. It's not something I've forced upon her. So between the two of us, we would love to spread awareness. Um, My real goal is to get to the United Nations and at least get them to impose some harsher sanctions because it's murder. And if you know that if you kill somebody, you're going to be in trouble, let's simplify this, you won't do it. But if you know that no one really will say anything because it's regarded as a honor killing, you'll carry on doing it. So until you're held accountable for something, you will continue to do it and your children will continue to do it because it's the normality they've seen. If we can break that cycle and say to the whole of the Middle East, if they can impose these sanctions and say, if anybody harms another person, male or female, for the sake of honor, the consequence is jail, life jail, lifetime jail, as it would be for murder. You will be jailed on that. But in some countries, men are allowed to rape women. Even in Malta, a country won't expect it. If they rape a woman but marry her, they won't be charged. So there's so many different laws in different parts of the world that don't make sense. And that's my ultimate goal, just to have the basic laws that should be placed, put into place being practiced excuse my ignorance here but i mean is this is this based on religious text is it based on no. culture or what it's culture yeah you see religion is a beautiful thing um one of the things i did when i was very young is i read the bible because i went to a very um uh, the cult the type of area I lived in was quite well to do and it was predominantly white area. There weren't very many people of color. I unfortunately was a person of color. And I say unfortunately because it meant I got beat up every lunchtime, every break time during childhood. So school wasn't really as an escape either. Um, The library was though. (laughs) Thank God for libraries. Um, But 
my um I've lost my train of thought but no it's not it's not a religious thing and I read the bible I read the quran I'm not muslim I read my religious books I'm Sikh um and I read the Hindu Gita I read a lot of different types of I was looking for answers Pete um but none of those books none of those scriptures say anything about treating a woman or girl badly because of her gender I suppose from a from a Western white male aspect, I find it's it's baffling. It's confusing. It's it's yeah. it's everything. Um, no, I, I, now that I understand the rights and wrongs, and I understand things. I mean, I'm born and raised here, as I keep saying. Mm. But when you're born into a culture, your family life takes over whatever you're taught on the outside, and what you must understand about a lot of people from different cultures is they protect their children and family from outside um, influences. So I was not allowed to watch television. I was not allowed to have English friends. I was not allowed to go to the school disco that would be completely out of the window. So by doing that, they contain what they would like for that information to be, what they want the person to think and, and feel. And from and that's what happened. So Although it's baffling for me sometimes, and I think, did I really put up with some of the things I put up? Did I really think that was okay to do? Did I really speak to my brother after he did, you know, said, and my father? But you do because you don't know any different at the time. So there'll be a lot of girls not knowing it's wrong because that's all they know. And the other girls they're looking at left to right that are from the same culture were also going through something, maybe not as extreme, but they will know that fear. You know, I've spoken to people all the way in Canada and America and they've said, oh, Nina, when you spoke, I really understood what you meant about the fear because I had that. And even when I go back to my parents' house, even as an adult, I feel scared of what my dad might be thinking or, or if he's going to say anything to me, tell me off because now I've changed my hair or now I've changed my style of dress because my husband's happy with it. But I worry if my father will worry about, you know, say anything or even mothers. So that fear doesn't go away, that fear of what you're, and that's in my family section that, you know, sometimes you have to understand it's not selfish to do what's best for you and your family. And if, and that's, that's what a lot of people have this, it's almost metal against metal. They want to break out and change things, but their parents are there, you know, bringing them back in. And I, and I described it to Gary from Think Network once as this, I said, look, Gary, your great-grandmother made soda bread and then your mother eventually made the same type of soda bread. You don't like that soda bread, but your aunt, there's always an aunt, there's always a mom's friend that's an aunt, has come over and said, well, Gary, what's wrong with the soda bread? It was good enough for your mum. It was good enough for your nan. It was good enough for your great-grand. So what's wrong with the soda bread? It's just choice, but he would feel pressured to have it just to stay in line with what everybody else has done. And that's the way that the younger generation have carried it through. They carry the idealisms through by feeling they can't step out of what has been created for them. This, this journey that they have to follow is, is led by the older, the elders, really. Is it going to take generations to, to, to sort of properly 
make the change? You know, is because people do people change? I don't know. You tell me. What's your experience? I think laws will help change. I think when the laws take place and there are consequences to people's actions, they are being held um, accountable, then yes, then there will be a change. And the younger generation won't want to be in trouble because they respect the law a little bit more than the elders do. And as you say, it's not, it's maybe not just the law, but it's also not turning the blind eye. It's not the. Well, if, if we, my whole purpose to spread awareness is I know that a lot more people know now what an honor killing is as opposed to when they did. And I have a radio one friend who said to me, it doesn't matter how many people watch your Ted talk because every person that watches it will remember it. They will take something away from it. Even if it's the first 10 seconds, and I thought, yeah, he's actually very right in saying so because my mind was set that, oh, I need to have so many watch it for it to be effective, but that's not the case. Changing one person's perspective is changing it because that person will maybe even go on and speak to another person and spread that awareness through them. So I think awareness is a huge thing. If we don't know if there's a problem, it's like the news, you know, we get told there's an issue in Afghanistan, we then know there's an issue in Afghanistan, but we don't know what's happening in their daily lives otherwise. Hmm. Yeah, it's that, it's that sort of management by exception, isn't it? You know, it's, it's pointing out that things are not rosy in the garden, that actually just because you're not hearing about it doesn't mean there's not a problem. Exactly. You know, and actually bringing it through. Do you think, I mean... Uh, in some ways, there's uh, a similarity in some ways to Northern Ireland. There's almost this religious divide in one thing or another. But in some ways, the almost the, let's say the current generation almost aren't clear what they're fighting about. But it's just kind of it's the done thing because you know I don't like you, you don't like me. Why? Well, that's just the way it's always been. So yeah. that's just it. You just accept it, and you kind of go, but why? Mm. What? What's the point? You know, what's the origin of all this? Mm. Which is confusing, right? It is confusing. Um, and, and, you know, as children, we were taught that um, people of certain cultures and colours are bad. And there's almost like a category that if somebody marries somebody out of their own culture, this person is okay-ish. This person is a little bit better. That person down there is completely a no-no. And different cultures do the same things. And I'm, I'm, I was actually quite surprised that I listened to a certain degree about my father telling me about caste systems, you know, that he was the highest of the castes and they were farmers back in India. So that meant they had a lot of land. But I can tell you now, my dad ran pubs. He didn't, he wasn't farming in the United Kingdom. So that was really not part and parcel of who his identity was anymore but they fail to let go. And that's the thing. These cultures are so um, hell-bent and the mentality as well is so hell-bent on remaining what they knew because they feel that's their identity, that they fail to understand that you have to adapt, you have to grow. You know, growth is a huge, beautiful thing. And if they were to accept some of the cultures like I've done, I've, I've become this um, pothole of different cultures. I've taken my own. I like this part of it. I'll save that. 
I like this out of the Bible and I like this out of the Irish culture. I'm going to save that. I like this from my ex-partners. Um, he was Nigerian. I like this out of his culture, so I'm definitely keeping that. And I've created this little thing that suits me. It's individual to me. And, and I'm celebrating more than one culture because you can, and you can live in a happier environment with yourself by doing so. But unfortunately, if that's all they've known and they stay in that little circle, they're not going to do anything out of that circle. I broke out of that circle, then I broke out of it again and again. And that's, that's, this is the result of it, I guess. What's, what are the sort of factors or values of a good religion? Do you know, I think that I am the way I am because I was too scared, too scared to lie, too scared to steal, too scared to do any bad things. And I believe religion is actually a cheat code. It helps you to be a good person by giving you these cheat codes, but we don't see that. And all, all around there are clues. In every religion, there are clues about philosophy. philosophy. There's a lot of philosophy within religions. So mm. to answer your question, a good religion is a basic cheat code, how to be a good person. Mm. I mean, how often do you think, I mean, religions are taken out of context. You know, people use it as the, the reference material, but they've chosen to interpret it in a way that suits as opposed to potentially away from its origin. Do you think there is distortion? Definitely distortion. Um, I mean, I don't want to pinpoint any particular religion. I'm not doing that. But I have read certain scriptures and then I've said, hold on a minute. It doesn't tell you that you have to do that in the scriptures. And I'm not done it deliberately to be argumentative. That's far from it. I've done it to understand. And when I've asked women even that, why do you dress in a certain way or do these things? They say, well, it's cultural, you know, because everyone does it. It's always that everyone does it, not because of what they've read. And then I've said, you know, your religion is very beautiful, but it actually shows that you should hold yourself with more respect and have that value for you. Because if you do hold that value for yourself, then other people will see that and hold it for you too, as opposed to being told you have to do something because it's religious. Mm. Um, I think religion's misused by a lot of people as a weapon. And at one point I was very, I was fighting in my own mind about religion, saying that if no religion existed, we wouldn't have half of the wars, half of the fights. But it's man that's created those fights, not necessarily the religion. It's the way they've used that. I mean, they're still going on in India, you know, in 1947, I think it was, we, the part of India my parents are from, it's called the Punjab, and Panj means five. There were five rivers running through it. It's a very wealthy area because it was the main agricultural part of the country. Mm. But Pakistan took some of that land. And we lost some of it. And then Shimla and the Himalayans, they, you know, that part became independent. So we lost some things. And there's still posts on Instagram by people that are half my age saying, fight for this and fight for that. And I'm thinking, well, what would you do realistically? Because the land that was taken, there are people there, generations that have settled. They're happy. That's their life. Would you really? make that 
havoc and that chaos again? Would you create that for the sake of another borderline? Does it matter? These borderlines, in my opinion, should just be erased and we should all just live in harmony in my little world. But for them, it's so important, so important. But they're not the ones living there. They're the ones living up the road from me in, I don't know, Southampton or something. But they're the ones creating this huge fuss about it, which makes absolute no sense to me. What is it, do you think, inherent within the human that, you know, sort of guards a territory that, you know, checks their truth and, and their truth is the right truth? Uh, is it just a factor of being human that, you know, we've got to be right, you've, which makes you wrong? This is mine, not yours. I deserve, I don't deserve, you don't deserve. I think 90% of the human population don't know who they are. They have no real idea of who they are, their why. They don't know. They just don't know. I'm very clear on who I am, but I've met so many people that don't know why they do things, don't know why they like things, look to answers from someone else. Even when I'm speaking to them, they'll look towards someone else for the answer. So I think it's very unfortunate that this world has been bamboozled by media and leaders that have taught them a certain way as opposed to as opposed to teaching them how to think. They've thought for them, they've decided for them. So they're just protecting the territories, the areas, the boundaries that they've been told by somebody else that's been told by another person that's been told by somebody that must be in control or in charge because he looks the part or speaks the part. And um, it's just a case of people doing what they know. They don't know any different. It's, is it all back to control? Is it about connection, control, ownership? Most definitely. How would, I don't know if we would be as economically, um, bet, you know, well off if we allowed people to have free thought. So I know that by the governments being who they are and controlling when we're in lockdown and when we're not in lockdown, simple things like that. But magically, then we're not in lockdown a couple of weeks before Christmas, but then we are locked down again at Christmas. You know, it's just for me, it's I'm watching, I'm learning, I'm seeing. But for a lot of people, they don't want to know because it's comfortable not to know. They're in a comfort, a comfortable place of lull. And if they step out of that, it means they have to think. They may not like what they see. They may not want to hear what people are saying. And they believe everything they're told, which I have to admit I did up to a certain age. What, what's the best? Beth, I mean, what's, what's the question you can ask to check your truth? Check what's going on, do you think? I think you should. I, I always say to people when they ask me a question and they say, well, why are you not doing X, Y, and Z? You know, we all should do X, Y, and Z. And I'm not a, I'm not a rebellious person, but I, I like to investigate and I like to Google things. <laughs> There's so much information. So I always say to people, have you done your own research? Well, this tablet will help you lose weight, Nina. If you take three a day, by the end of the week, you'll be a size zero. And I say, and have you done any research? Have you read on the back of the pack? 
And a lot of people don't. And a lot of people believe what they're told, as I said. So I would actually say to people to check in with reality, just step back a minute and actually look at what's going on and don't ignore the obvious. There's so many obvious things that are happening sometimes right in front of us, but we choose to ignore them because it, it means stepping out of our comfort zones or it's like I say to people um, when I speak out about human trafficking, if you know something's not right, if you feel that, then something probably isn't right. And you don't have to be involved. You can make a discreet call. Or if you know somebody at the road, their daughter's gone missing and she's not at school anymore, teachers, because girls are taken to India all the time and killed there. They're just literally whisked out of school, taken to India. They're going to visit family. But that's not the truth. They don't return. The schools don't investigate. It takes one caring teacher to ring somebody and say, I'm worried about this person. Could you investigate? I don't want to be involved, but I just want to tell you. And the police can follow the leads themselves. If they did and ask more questions, then people would think, well, maybe I can't get away with it because I'm being checked in on. I'm being um, held accountable. But because everyone's happy being in a lull state, not wanting to get involved, which I understand too. Who, would, who wants stress? I'd, nobody wants stress. But there's also a difference between doing the right and wrong thing. And, and we do have that. Um, we do have that mechanism in our minds. We know when we've done something wrong and we know when we haven't. I was say, I mean, how do you find right and wrong? Do you think it's fundamentally we, we have as you say, that, that mechanism is pretty We good. definitely do. It's, some, it's like for a woman sometimes, and this is a bit sexist, <laughs> it's true though, it's like some of my daughter, I'll actually use her as an example, it's like sometimes going, I don't like shopping, I really don't like shopping. <laughs> Pete, it's one of the worst things out. It's like going shopping with my daughter and then coming back and she'll say, I should have bought that dress, I really, I really wish I'd bought it. You see, she knew she should have got it, but she didn't listen to her intuition telling her at the time and a thousand people have done that I should have bought that car I haven't found a better one since but you doubt yourself or you question yourself whatever the reason is but when you get back you know and it's the same thing to do with right and wrong you know when you've watched you've witnessed something at a train station for example someone shouting at someone you know you've ignored it because you don't want to be involved or you don't want to step in because it means an altercation and you don't want that which is understandable but you can easily go and have a word with a station guard or someone and say, look, I'm a bit concerned about that lady. Could you step in? It's your job to do so. Or could you mm. get the police to come and, and step in? You could actually save somebody's life. It's that important. It's that import it has that much of importance to it, carries that much weight. Mm. And is that it? Is, I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the caring for caring for one another, right? It's that... Yeah compassion connection you know as you say rather than just turning the other way or that's just the way it is or it's none of my business yeah it's it's, it's terrible you know i went to this festival as i was telling you my first festival I was so excited um it was on my bucket list i had to do it um and we were listening to i was listening to these girls and they were talking about oh, where did you get that done where did you get this done and they were talking about something very what's the right word, irrelevant, as opposed to just having a conversation like, hey, how are you doing? Where are you from? You know, I'm from the north. I'm from down south. 
are you enjoying yourself? They weren't talking about those things. And I think the love of English language has just been lost in a different kind of communication, which I don't really get and I don't want to understand. I'll never want to understand it. But the fact that I can sit on here and say, hey, Pete, have you had a good day today? And you describe your day to me. Nobody does that anymore. You know, and when they meet one another in public, it's all about those fillers are crazy. <laughs> and you think, well, ask the girl about something else. But that's the normality. That's where we've got to now as, as humans. We're not happy from within. There's so many people not happy or accepting. There's no self-acceptance. So they want more. They want to fit in as opposed to be the individual beauty they are. Because if we were all the same, then what's the point? We weren't meant to be that. Is is that a is that an insecurity that we seek external validation, do you think? Definitely. You know, one of my um somebody I'm coaching, he he definitely is always looking for exterior validation and I and he's a world champion in his sport. And it's just having that. And I and it doesn't matter what anybody's going to say to him until he says to himself, you know what, I've done bloody well to get to where I am considering I was sleeping under a bridge not long ago. A few years ago, I was homeless myself. So that love that you have for yourself isn't all airy-fairy. It's of such importance. It's that realisation. I'm not bothered what people think about my image, and I'll say that over and over again, because if someone gives me a compliment about my heart or that I'm empathetic, as you said, then they see the real me. But at some point, the hair will change, the face will change. You know, it's that old cliche quote you often see, but knowing and meeting someone that you can have a genuine conversation with, people in general, just your circle, people that uplift you, as opposed to talk about your hair or, I'm not really into that. And I I keep harping on about it because I think we give too much importance to our outer image as opposed to working on ourselves from within. What are you made up of, do you think? I mean, do you, you see this as a meat suit and it's it's the soul within? Um, oh, this is just, yeah, I, I described it the other day to Gary, actually. This is just a vessel. Hmm. And um, because he was saying, oh, what regrets will you have? Will you have regrets if you die tomorrow? And my answer was absolutely not. I've done so much in such a short space of time and I know that I've started this catalyst that will continue to burn brightly with, you know, it'll be almost passed from person to person and and there will be a change with it. It takes one person to just set something on fire for it to start burning brightly. Um, I'm personally made up of love, complete love, pure love. And because I have that within, I can give it to you. I can give it to the next person. I can give it to my neighbor. I can give it to the cat next door because I'm coming from a place of love. Mm. But if you're coming from anger or frustration or trauma, you're never able to love yourself enough to be able to love another person. And what I'm actually in this life form that I'm in, I'm waiting for my spirit to be free because in my culture, we believe that we are very spiritual. And when I say spiritual, we are just balls of energy. So when this life is at an end, 
although it'd be very sad for the people I leave behind, I will actually be the freest I've ever been because my spirit won't be entrapped in this cloak. It will be like a butterfly. It will just be able to travel. And I'm actually looking forward to those days, as weird as it sounds, because I do believe um, that there is another portal somewhere that we can step through and enter another world. And there's so much more to this world than we see. Have you been here before? Yes, I I have been told, and I believe that I've been here before. I was told that my name broken down into Chinese, like a Chinese horoscope is of silk, which means royalty. And I was told that I was brought back by my ex-partner because we had unfinished business, which is why I think I must have carried some feeling of hatred or not forgiving or something had happened for me to come back and the lessons I've been taught again at a more extreme level to me, for me then to understand, to let go and be able to use those lessons as a service to others. Mm. Do you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? That, that sort of connection, those multiple lives, the, you know, your spirit and your soul. I mean, generally do souls carry a gender, do you think? No, I don't think they do. I think we come in the form because our job at that time, what is almost planned for us, requires us to be this gender. Um, and I think, as I keep saying, and I've said it a thousand times before I even got to this realisation, that if I hadn't gone through everything I've gone through, I wouldn't be the person I am. So I wouldn't be able to reach to a six-year-old girl sitting in a house alone, being treated as a servant to say, hey, you know what, you're going to be fine. And I'm not speaking to my former self. I'm talking about other girls that are living that life now. And a young woman, a 14-year-old, raped as I was, you can't understand that mindset unless you've been through it or something similar. So I actually welcome and receive that knowledge so that I can do something with it. Because for quite a long time, I pushed all of this knowledge away not out of self-pity, but out of not wanting to accept these things happen because they come with a stigma. But the stigma isn't on me. And that's what I've realized. The stigma is upon those people that have been the perpetrators. But society, again, society teaching us that we should have certain type of color skin and certain type of hair have made the people that are harmed feel victims, feel that they have done something wrong, feel dirty. Whereas they're the ones that need the most love and they do need the most love. And it's, it's that ability to almost turn the other cheek per se, you know, it's that, is it the, that sort of feeling of love? Because I'm, I'm curious about, I know you sort of, you, you mentioned it in your TEDx talk, you know, that sort of ultimate almost forgiveness, that ultimate uh, letting go. Yeah. How did that come about? Can you explain that? I've never, ever throughout my life held anything against anybody. I learned from a very young age. Like I said, I think I almost trained myself just to accept that this is how it is. I can't change it. Mm. There's no point crying about it because no one's going to come and look after me. And um, I just used to almost 
allow things to pass, knowing that that had happened and it was an occurrence and it no longer was happening. Some things are harder to forgive when you know that that person is doing it out of a hostile place and that they're very aware of it. You know, for a father to treat his daughter in such a way as mine treated me, it's unacceptable. But he didn't know any different because if he did, I won't be having this conversation. If my mother knew how to love me and believed in a different mindset, had a different upbringing, maybe, I would again not be having this conversation. But you only know what you know. If I say to you, let's both make a, a omelette, you'll make it the way you've made it. You've told your mind a thousand times since you've started making omelettes, this is the way to make it. So you'll make it that way. Mine might be um, a triangle, yours might be oval. That doesn't mean mine's not an omelette. Well, it's, yeah, it's that sort of being wrapped up in, in your own truth, per se. You know, I didn't, like, I forgave everybody as I went along. And I think that helped me because I never held on to trauma. Hmm. And it was because I knew they, that's just the way they were. You know, do I think my father and brother have any regrets? No, because they don't understand that it's not the normal thing to do. My ex-partner, I was with him for 23 years, went on and did something very similar to me to the person he met shortly after me. And I understood that it wasn't me, that it was him. But he's doing what he knows. And the purpose of me telling you that is so that you can see that it carries on. The cycle will carry on because I've removed myself, but he has still got the same mindset. So he will still treat the person the same way because he doesn't know any different. That's just him. What's caused his issue, I don't need to understand. A lot of people need to know, oh, I need closure. Oh, I need to understand. Oh, I, I have to know why he didn't turn up when he said he did or why she didn't call me when she said, she, but you're never going to know. The answer that you're seeking is for your own sanity. It's for your own self-belief, for your own um, peace of mind. But you'll never get that from somebody else. Whereas if you say to yourself, okay, I can't change anything. I can't control the way my dad treated me or my mother treated me, but I just have to accept it and say to myself, all right, well, there's nothing I've done. They've done something from within they had that belief within them or they had that anger within them. I've not caused that anger. Now, if I was standing there every day, coming back from school with lipstick on and makeup and smell, is smoking and taking drugs, then yes, understand they're going to have to rep reprimand me and put some boundaries in as a good parent would. But that wasn't the case. You know, the case was simply a cultural belief. Are you where you're supposed to be now then, do you think? Almost. <laughs> Almost. I'm nearly there. Do you have clarity on where you're headed or what's your purpose? The purpose is the right? Yeah. Everything I do is with intention, Pete. Um, my journey that I'm going to take shortly is with intention. It's actually my daughter's first day at her new job, so... I want to support her, so that's where I'll end up. And it doesn't matter if I'm late, I'll get there with intention. If I go to the shops, as you do, you go with intention. If you start to live your life with intention, you save time, you save energy, your clarity is of such a peak that you know everything's falling into place the way you want it to. 
That's a fascinating point, a huge point. When you strip out the story, and as you say, you it's intentional. It's not because of or should have or could have or would have, right? It's just it happened because it happened, and that's it. Yeah, simple. I, I'm. I know that some of the things are very traumatic that have happened to me. I'm not denying that or shrinking it. Mm. But I also, like I said, to you know why they've happened. They've happened so that I can give that assistance to somebody else. I have now a facet of education that can't be taught in a university. I have this um, briefcase of fixing tools almost that I can I can help other people and I want to. The way I've helped myself, I want to help those people. Um, and I'm able to, so that's why I, I do hold workshops now. And I, I hold them for 20, 30 people sometimes so they can come in and we can talk and I can give them because many of the many of the solutions are very similar the problems are very different but the solutions are very similar and you've heard it a thousand times I'm sure it all starts and ends with you yeah yeah it's it is true isn't it I mean you can only I always find it fascinating you can only ever experience within yourself you know no matter what anyone does it's it's when you bring it into your own mind that it goes through the filter and says, this is good, this is bad, this is my truth, this is not my truth. And therefore, I will react as a hurt person or as a pleased person or whatever, right? So, because if we yeah. ever experience outside of ourselves, it's called an out-of-body experience, which is seen as something else, right? Yeah, you see, I one thing I do do also is I help um, parents with, teenage children i'm very much an advocate for mental health um the awareness of mental health and to say to parents stop talking at your children stop listening to them and give them space put your phone down give them that complete emphasis that you're sitting and you're giving them that attention saying yeah i'm listening to you but you're on your phone doesn't work because you're not giving that person the attention you know and a child picks up on that and they need that they need that time and once they've said their bit, you give them that respect and you allow them to express themselves. Because when a child gets to 15, they do have things to say and they hear and see everything going in the house, which I didn't necessarily pick up on until it was too late. And then I ended up with my son becoming someone who was on a high risk suicide, you know, the register, and he'd run away and try to kill himself. And by a gun and it was all very serious and to lose something so precious makes you understand I've messed up here but what can I do going forwards what can I do to help him you know I have a lot of parents sometimes say well you know I feel really sad because he shouts and I stop them and I say the word I isn't in this conversation you've come here because you're worried about your son or are you worried about yourself because it's fine to be worried about yourself. It's not easy being a parent, but I can only help you if you tell me exactly what it is you want me to help you with. And children are, are of utmost importance. You know, they're my life. My kids are my life. And any child out there I love, you know, if I see a child in the supermarket, I'll always smile at them. Because like a parent, we don't know if that kid's had a hard day at home. You know, the mom's shouting at them because they want those chocolate buttons and they're not getting them. But whatever it is, you know, to give a child um, a smile doesn't cost anything as it does to another human, but 
they're the most innocent forms of unconditional love. And I'm, I really would love to start something bigger, which I am hopefully working on next year, um, whereby I talk to the universities all around the world, colleges, whatever they want to be called, and make it a necessity to have a class on suicide. And they all have to attend because every time I pick up my child from one of my middle son from university, someone's either jumped out of a window or they're found hanging in the room by a family member. And it's heartbreaking because that could be my son. You know, I'm picking up boxes of clothes as opposed to what they're picking up. Um, and something needs to be done. But again, I'm one person trying to create ripples across different things, but they all mean very much to me. They mean a lot to me. Mm. You, you talked at the start about sort of being a mental health advocate almost, you know, and yeah. what, what is mental health to you? And, and Yeah. Well, I have two, two sons who struggle with their mental health. Mental health to me means having peace within the noise is bearable and that you feel happier as opposed to unhappy. Depression, anxiety, all are parts of the mental health that I'm talking about. I stayed in a relationship for 23 years for the children in my mind, and I didn't know what else I was going to do. I was running four businesses at the time. I was extremely successful. My partner didn't work. I was the only person working and running the house and organizing the children with their, you know, they played Premier League football for academy. So it was all very high and um, it was a real rush, I could tell you. But I never stopped once to say to my children or listen to them or to consider them when things were very wrong. Again, I can't change things but I can say to somebody else who's in a situation maybe 20 years before mine and they're three years in that this is not right. And I'm doing something about that. I can't talk about it, but I'm hopefully traveling to America to create something that will leave a very big impact on domestic violence. You see in my culture, we don't speak up about it. So you'll get very few people of color speaking up because it's, not regarded as um, gracious to do so. But I understand the importance of speaking out because children pick up on the slightest things, the slightest tonalities when your voice is raised or lowered. And looking back, I can just see how silly I was thinking that they didn't know what was going on. But that affects them. You know, my youngest son, he escaped with me from his father after a murder attempt and we were placed on a high-risk register and eventually had to move over 200 miles away for our safety. He was the one that was homeless with me. So these things will naturally take an effect on a child. And when you're in the moment, you're trying to get from A to B, you're not looking at the letters in between, which are very important. I never once said to him, are you okay? I never once said to him, I'm going to get this sorted because I didn't know what I was doing myself. And it's important because you're a parent and they look to you for that comfort, for that reassurance. And um, it's, it's, I carry 
a few regrets, but I also know that I can't change them. But what can I do? I can maybe change somebody else's life and help them not have their child fall into this dark place that mine fell into. I mean, how do you think you've been able to take a lot of that shock and that trauma and actually protect them somewhat from it, or certainly take the take the severity out of it in any way, do you think? Or is, is trauma just trauma full stop? You see, if you lose your car keys and I lose my house, we've both lost something. Loss is a loss and trauma is trauma. Mm. There's no comparison. Sometimes people say, oh, Nina, your story is so much worse than mine. That's nonsense because hurt is hurt. There's no comparison. Um, I did what I could at the time. I did what I knew. Again, I'm going back to you do as you know. If I was to say to you, hey, Pete, you know, my former partner set my pillow on fire as I was sleeping and my daughter put it out and I woke up because of the smell of my hair burning, but I still stayed years after with the same person. You turn around and say, Nina, are you out of your head? What were you on drugs or something? What were you thinking? But I didn't know any different. And that's my point. People only do what they know. My parents only did what they knew. I only did what I knew. I thought at the time I was doing the right thing. Hindsight is a beautiful thing. But I also believe that it's part of their journey and their journey will lead them to an understanding and maybe to give service to others. My, I have, two, I have three children. My daughter is the eldest and I have two sons. Um, my second child, he's studying medicine. So maybe he'll go on to help people in mental health because he's suffered himself from anxiety and depression, understandably, with what happened. Or maybe he'll go on to use that tool that he's now got, that, that little extra star badge for someone that needs it also, and it gives him that understanding. The youngest one, maybe again, he will find his own voice, or maybe he won't use it and it's just helped him in another way. You know, I, I say to people that when somebody's struggling, the worst thing you can do is keep talking to them. You need to let them be. You need to let them know that they're safe. Tell them that they're cared for. Create boundaries because often we allow people to get away with things because we say, oh, well, you know, he's not feeling too good. But they need that. They need that structure. It's very important. And they need just to be left so they're not constantly, are you okay? Are you, do you want some food? Are you okay? Because they can't hear themselves thinking. And it's like you sometimes, you know, when you've had a really busy day and you think, oh, I just need a moment. And we've all said it. We've all said that. And it's the same sort of sort of same train of thought that they need a moment. Their moment might be longer than yours and mine, but they just need a moment. And they also need to know whether they're shouting at you or not. They need to know that you're there. So if they need you, they've got you. Mm. I've always been struck about the similarities and symptoms of, say, meditation and depression. Yes. yes. Both are, you know, a form of retreat. Both are forms of silence. Yeah. One's good, if good is the right word, and one's not so good. I like you, P. You come out with some good questions and statements, yeah. I, I do believe the same because I believe, as I said, the mind just needs to be silent. It needs the, the noise to stop. It needs just to recheck with itself. It needs to find itself again. 
is the mind, do you believe we're all connected? Are we all, is this one big energetic soup? Um, I think that we all have, we need one another to survive, that it's all part of a bigger jigsaw. But I believe that you meet people for a reason, you cross paths for a reason. That doesn't mean that person will be there with you throughout your journey. Um, a lot of people have trouble understanding that, you know, Sue that I went to school with from 14 to 19 doesn't talk to me anymore, but she gave you a lot of joy during that time. So hmm. be appreciative of that time you had with her. Not everyone's supposed to go right to the end and people will come along, they will teach you things and you will learn and then you will go the way you're supposed to go. I do believe we're all connected, um, but not attached to anything. I don't believe in attachments. Can you expand on that a little? Yeah, sure. I don't have the right to be attached to anything other than my own mind and my own self. I don't have that thought, whereas a lot of people in marriage, and I come across this with my coaching, say, you know, well, he should, she should. I did this, so why can't he do this? I've done this and he's not said this. Or do you know what, Nina? I bought a really nice dress and a pair of heels and she didn't appreciate it. And I say, well, look, you're responsible for your own actions. It's nice that you wanted to gift something, but don't love for the expectation of being loved back. Don't have that attachment to somebody. You don't own anybody. You are with somebody, so you enjoy that time with them. Mm. You enjoy the moments they give you and that gift of love they're sharing with you. But ultimately, you are your own person. You were born alone. You'll leave the world alone. It's just the way it is. But whilst you're in this human experience, you can spend time with other people, but they don't owe you anything. My children don't owe me anything. They were born from this body. There is slightly more of an attachment to them because, as I said, you know, we were connected physically at one point. But they don't owe me anything. If they decide to go off and never speak to me again, that's fine. I won't necessarily be happy. But again, that's about me, not them. And for me to be truly happy for them, I have to understand that that's the way they want to live their lives and respect that. Is, is this, does this just come naturally to you, this sort of ability to take what I would almost describe as like a 10,000 foot view of it? You know, you see a bigger picture, you see that it is love. It's, you know, ego can flash in, in short term, but... Or is it something, do you have to check yourself? Do you, you in a language? Do you keep on top or? No, I, I don't have to check myself. I think it's a natural progression from near death experiences, knowing that every day I wake up is a gift. Knowing as I look out my window, I can see nothing but trees and it's very beautiful. And I keep trying not to be distracted because I love mother nature because I believe that I have a mother and mother nature is my mother. I connect with her by standing on the grass and grounding as I do. And I'll go out every morning with no shoes on just to connect, whether it's rain or shine. Um, I believe I have gained a type of mentality through my experiences. Even my former partner, I, I don't dis, not dislike him or not hate him. I don't use those words normally either. I have nothing but love for that person. Um, regardless of what he did, and my parents, I have nothing but love because without each one of those, I wouldn't be here. Even though they tried to take my life, I would not be here. I would not be me. And 
I just prefer to love as opposed to hate. It's just who I am. It's a, I interviewed someone, I'm going to say roughly a year ago, and they, again, in childhood had some pretty horrific trauma. And interestingly, that, that was their view. They were in their late 40s and saying, I wouldn't want it to happen again, but at the same time, I wouldn't change any of it because it's led me to be exactly where I am supposed to be today. I think everybody has that. Everybody in life has that. You know, I I know people that hold things against certain people because they've been idiots, really. You know, they've been not nice to them. And I understand that they've not been nice. But what I try to do is say to people, separate yourself from that emotion. You cannot control how that person's behaved, but you can control how you're going forward. And then once somebody said to me, well, I'm going to make a list of all the bad things about this person. So I never go back and think I want to be with that person. I said, well, instead of doing that, make a list of all the good things about you and don't let anybody in your circle, female or male in your circle, unless they are of the same standard as you are living your life. And that's not about being better than anyone. That's just being about protecting your energy and sharing it with people with same mindsets, people that can elevate you help you to grow, help you to be the better person that you want to be, you know, the biggest, better version of yourself. So I do believe that you can change with you're around a certain type of person. I deliberately paid for my children to go to an independent school because I knew that those children are placed there with certain expectations from their family, but also from themselves. And I wanted my children to be held accountable for themselves which is what they learned. They learned that there, you know, you, I actually got what I paid for. Um, they didn't become snobby or spoiled because I, I didn't have that much money. I worked four jobs to send them there. So they didn't have that attitude, but they did come out with an attitude of being caring about other people, being a little bit more considerate and understanding the value of networking, that your network is your net worth. They knew that straight away. They knew how you dress and how you speak to people. Um, can either make or break their day. They understood those sort of ethics and the integrity that you can learn from being around a certain type of person is such value. It's more, it's of more importance than a degree, in my opinion, having that value, having that integrity, having that realization of self-acceptance and accepting how other people are feeling too. It's so interesting. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, nurturing the children's upbringings and, and inheritance, not through financial or wealth rewards. It's actually through experience, experiential rewards, right? It's that if I can do nothing else as a parent than expose you to things in a safe manner, then that's the job done, right? Yeah, I have to admit, I wasn't taught how to parent. None of us are really taught. If you're lucky enough to have a grandparent around or a mum and dad to help you with the children, then count your blessings please do because I didn't have that and I my children didn't have a granny or a grandpa standing at the um sports day it's just mummy you know and I made enough noise for everyone so it's fine but the thing about that is again is you're the only one influencing your child and I practically was a single mother so having that um pressure almost to not mess up, as I call it, with the children. And I still did to a certain degree, but they turned out all right. Um, you want to try and give them everything that you missed out on. And having had such a horrible past, 
one of the best things I could give them is safety. But even that was compromised when they got older because their father became more volatile. Um, and the second thing, as I said, I've always tried to teach them is just basically how to treat another person with the due undue respect that they deserve to treat people as they treat you and to remove yourself from a situation because confrontation doesn't resolve anything. If you walk away, you really are the bigger person because say you've saved time and you've just left that person wondering as well why the, the reaction they want they didn't get. Um, you know, you're not validating their heated debate about something that's probably of no importance anyway. Mm. Yeah, it's it's that's it's it's a phenomenal uh, viewpoint. I think you know. I think it's there's a lot of amazing lessons in there. Um, and as you say, it's it's taken a lifetime of these experiences to come to that mindset, right? It's taken fifty one years. <laughs> I love my age. I just talk about it all the time because I know it's not a real age. I just feel it's a number. Yeah, it's. Absolutely. It's just, it is just a number. It's, it's a, you know, someone called it, it's a number on, on the meat suit or on the meat tube, you know, it's just, it just is right. You know, because yeah. I mean, you almost come across almost as a, as an old soul. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, I see that as an, a, um, a genuine compliment. Thank mm. you. Yeah. I, I like my old values because I feel that we've lost them in this world that's been created for us. So I love the fact that that sounds a bit silly me saying this, but I haven't really dated many people. And when I left my partner, I hadn't even dated him because I left the arranged marriage and went to stay at his because he said I could stay and ended up drinking Malibu at a party. And I've never drank again. <laughs> I got pregnant with my daughter and I don't even remember getting pregnant. It was that, it was that bad. She knows the story, so she won't be offended. But again, that happened for a great reason, but I never really had the relationship. We didn't go for dinners and things like that, like I'd read about. But I did go on a first date and um, that was pretty exciting. I think I got on the person's nerves because I was catching Pokemon on the night because it was that far back. But yeah, I just, um, I just love life. And I know that, I know that you're connected to souls as opposed to faces. I know that you, resonate with certain people more because there's something a pull that's the only way I can describe it a pull and I've had it a few times with women and men just people genuine people I had my first sleepover when I came to stay uh, last week I think on the 18th I came over and um 18th of June I had my first sleepover because I never had a friend a real friend that's a girl and her name's Karen and she lives in Dublin and she invited me over and she said, do you want to come and sleep over? And I thought, <gasps> and she did me party bowls. We had music. So it was, it was like the party I would have given my daughter at 12, 13 that I had. And my daughter came along and we had that. And I was so excited. She was teaching us how to do the Irish dancing the, and, and I was teaching how to do my dancing. And it was one of the best times of my life. It really was. And again, that was me being maybe 12 in that time, in that place. So the age thing I understand isn't real because I was in my own mind, as I saw myself, a young girl just having fun with a friend, innocent fun. I mean, is there a gap between who you truly are and who you are today? I don't think so. I think we all have different 
um, faces and we all have different parts of our personality. Um, I would describe myself as just a very loving person, but I have such a fierce determination. Sometimes people don't see the fun side of me. You know, mm. I, every time I go into a room, I'll probably say, hi, I'm Nina, and I talk about honour killings, and they think, oh, God, switch off. And that's fine, <laughs> you know. But then there is a different side of me, and I'm just like an, everyone else in the sense that we have a side of us that would talk to the bank manager, a side of us that would talk at a, bit, a business meeting. I'm not very much different in any of them, if I'm being honest. But when things matter to you, as opposed to like my TED Talk mattered so much to me, and all I wanted to do was not read from a script, just read from my heart, which is what I did. And I think that's why it came across as emotional as it did. So certain times will change that person in a way. This was going to say, I mean, generally, do people get you? No, <laughs> they don't get me. Did you think I'd say yes or no? No, it's, it's always interesting to see. No, the is. reason very few people get me, they don't get how I'm always very upbeat. They don't get how I mm. don't dislike people from my past. They don't get how I am very, it's going to be fine. Things always have a way of working themselves out. They don't get how I'll go and get something and say, do you know what? The money will come, but it does. Um, so not everyone thinks like me and that's okay because we're all different, aren't we? Mm. Well, totally. Well, it's more self-reflection on them, right? Yeah. But I don't, I, I don't not like me. I like everything about me. I like the bad things about me. I like the good things about me. I like the fact that now I cry, whereas before I would say super brave all my life, I thought resilience and strength were not crying. You know, mm. if someone does something so mean or I think about my father, you know, I have to be strong. I can't let anybody see my tears. I just got to keep going. But it's in your weakest times you find your ultimate strength, allowing yourself to have that um, release of tears. You know, I've cried to a point sometimes. My friend died recently and I've never experienced that kind of death. And I knew it was all about me because he's escaped this world. He's on a different plateau. I sometimes feel I see him in the form of a green bird flying around in my garden. But I was sad for me. You know, I hadn't seen him. I mm. hadn't told him certain things. We hadn't gone to do this. And we said we'd do this on my bucket list together. We didn't do it. But then I had to stop and have the realisation that his calling was from a higher place. His time to go on to the next level of this game that we live had come. And that by me saying, don't go, don't go, I was almost restricting him. And I didn't want that for him. So... I decided again to celebrate his life, celebrate our time and hold on to that. Mm. Do you think you still have pockets of trauma that will, will continue to sort of process and come I out? I think we all do, don't we? I think mm. we all do. You know, somebody, maybe an ex-partner or something. I think we all have niggles, but I think I would say I'm 90% trauma-free, like gluten-free, trauma-free. Congratulations. Should I have a label. <laughs> And I think the only times, I think it's children more than anything. You know, being a mum is, being a parent is not the easiest thing. And my requirements in this life, which I will get next year, by the end of next year, because I like to put dates on things, is a house, a home for us. You know, having been homeless once, I want to give them the stability that if anything ever happens, they have a roof over their heads and that's all I need. I don't need too many things. I'm quite a simple person. 
Um, but I'd like to be able to give them, especially my youngest son, some stability. Mm. Makes sense. I mean, there's, there's a saying I always find curious, you know, your voids are your values, you know, and it's, that can be quite, it can be quite healthy. It can verge to unhealthy as well, but you know, I can understand. Yeah. House means a lot because it's safety, it's home, it's yours. It's everything, yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah. You talked about sort of almost forms of law of attraction in some ways. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, that sort of higher power universe, things like that. I mean, is it, is that something you, you sort of actively get, get involved in in every day of your life? Do you, do you seek yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've picked up on that, but I call it magnetic mindset. Mm. Um, I teach people how to find the magnetic mindset. And I had a realization two years ago when I was standing in my garden doing my affirmations where the penny dropped and I realized how I could have anything I wanted in the world, literally anything. I didn't know when it would come because the time doesn't always work out the way you want it. But even recently I manifested something in my mind. I created that. I had that magnetism and it would come to me, but I didn't say what I wanted it to be. So it didn't work out the way exactly I wanted it, but I know that the right one will come through this particular event that I'm going to be doing um, and it will come to me. But my intention is always about service and awareness. I feel that I've raised my children to a certain point in their lives where of course they need me, but the need other people have for my voice is stronger. It's more need. It is more um, in need because they don't have any, they don't have many people speaking for them. So that's one thing that haunts me a little bit, knowing that um, there are children being taken to India and being trafficked. And there are children being forced into marriage. Trades are being made as mine was made at 14. You know, my father's not long come out of prison and having a half sister, as you heard in my TED talk, not knowing where she is and looking down the rabbit hole and finding where she was left is actually a front for human trafficking, for body organs. Um, Those sort of things are probably the 10% of things that bother me. And and I'm I'm working on those. Hmm. But that is powerful in itself that you've been able to strip out so much, which is rare, I think, you know, oh, and, you. you know, and that ability to then, as you say, you, you cut out the noise, which allows you to truly focus and pinpoint and, and emphasize the energy in, in a place of purpose and service. It's powerful, very powerful. Yeah. Tell me what's, what's a bit of a leisure and pleasure look like for Nina? Well, I have a bucket list. <laughs> so my bucket list was to play pool, which I played last year. Or was it the year before because of lockdown? I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was to go bowling to mm-hmm. the cinema I've been. I've now um, ticked off Starbucks, which was, uh, I don't know why I was so excited, but I was. I want to try, um, I don't eat rice, but I want to try sushi. Um There's a lot of little things on my list, which are simple pleasures, as I call them. 
But I want to go to somewhere where there's lots of butterflies. I know you can go to places where there's birds and butterflies, those sort of things. I want to go to one of those. I'm not sure what they're called. The butterfly garden, maybe they're called. Mm. Yeah. Well, I want to say an aviary, but I think that's a... That's a oh, no, you that's might be right, that. actually. That sounds very intelligent and right. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a birdhouse. I don't think it's a butterfly house. I want to see a waterfall. Mm. Okay. And apparently there's one in Leeds somewhere, so I might have to travel. But yeah, those little things, those sort of things I need to do before I, you know, I know people have on their bucket list to go to Bora Bora and to do these things, but mine are all very quite simple things that I haven't tried or done. Hmm. Um, yeah, this, I want to see Chinatown, you know, when they do the Chinese celebrations in February, I'd love to do that. I was going last year and then we weren't allowed to go because of um, restrictions. So I've got a few things like that to do. But um, so Nina's Nina's social things are actually spending a lot of time with a little girl. Mm. Um, at one point, her father stopped us communicating, so we weren't allowed to talk. Um, and I've I've never felt right since. You know, I used to sneak the phone into the bathroom and send her a message saying, "I'm fine. Don't text back." You know, <laughs> and plus her, she just wanted to talk to her mum. So. We spend a lot of time together. She lives near the beach, which is beautiful. So I always go and have a word with the gods of the water there <laughs> and ask for strength. Um, but I'm just looking forward to helping people, being on stages and getting my message across the world and allowing everyone to know what an honour killing is so that it rolls off everyone's tongue and they say, I know exactly what that is. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's recognition, isn't it, really? It's that sort of understanding what's truly going on which yeah knowledge is power is that a fair thing to say exactly you've, you've hit the nail on the head mm. well nina if you were to try and summarize then your fire in the belly in one or two words what would it be my fire in the belly right now mm. would be the tears that drop from innocent girls faces in their times of fear that's my fire in the belly. Wow. Super powerful. Tell us, where can people follow you, track you? Yeah, sure. I'd love some support. So my name is Nina Olk, spelt A-O-U-I-L-K. If you put that into Google, I come up quite quickly. I'm really happy about that, having an unusual name. But if you could watch my TED Talk and comment and share it, it's all about awareness. It's not an ego thing at all. I have a website called ninaalt.com. You can find me on Instagram at the London's Life Coach or Nina underscore the Brit. And I'm on Clubhouse quite often, helping people at the moment learn how to be confident within themselves and learn English if they want to get onto a stage. But generally, I am available to anyone that needs to reach out. If you have suffered from any domestic violence, if you have suffered from an attempted honour killing, or if you are being held against your wishes, then please reach out and I will do whatever I can. Well, super powerful. Your final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? I just want to send them love and say that I appreciate and value each individual person listening. They've given their time to listen to you and me. And I see that and I send love and good energy to them. 
Beautiful. Nina, I suspect it won't be the last time, And but listen, thank you. It's been an absolute honour to have you here today. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, oh boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.